Hey community, in today's podcast episode, Matt sits down with the new director of Loop Gospel, Otto Price. Otto is a Grammy award-winning producer, the former bass player for DC Talk, and artist advocate. We're so excited to have him as part of our team, so enjoy the interview, get to know him, and hear his story. What's up, Loop community, and welcome to this week's edition of Loop Live. My name is Matt McCoy. I'm the founder of loopcommunity.com, and today I've got a very special guest with me. I've got Otto Price, and uh, he is the new director of Loop Gospel, and I wanted to introduce him to you today and hear a little bit about more about his background and his story. So if you've got any questions, comments, type them down into the chat wherever you're watching this video from, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, and I'm looking forward to talking with Otto Price. Let's do it. Mr. Otto. Hello, sir. <laughs> What's up, man? How you doing, man? Dude, good to see you again. Great to see you. You are a legend, and uh, <laughs> I am just so excited to have you on board on the Loop Community team to head up the Loop Community Gospel Division. And uh, you've just got a ton of experience. You have a ton of uh, relationships and connections, and just just history. Like you've just you've you've been in the industry for a long time. You've been doing music. You're passionate about music. Um, and that's just, it's, it's just awesome. And so I've enjoyed just kind of hanging out and talking with you the past couple of weeks. And um, I thought it'd be cool to ha- just introduce you to the community yeah. and maybe give you the floor and just share a little bit about, let's just start with your background. Like, what's your story? How'd you get started into music? Yeah, um, oftentimes I, if I share, I kind of breeze through. So if I breeze through an area, Matt, you want me to kind of um, yeah. nestle in on uh, just, just, I'll you. You. But um, the quick the quick story is I'll try to do quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, my my dad. Um, I was telling my wife this a couple nights ago. I, I I didn't really grow up in a real big musical family. I kind of grew up in wasn't well, my dad was in the Air Force, um, and we traveled a lot. But even though it wasn't a real big musical family, music was a huge part of our life. And so my dad is from like. Uh, places near Yazoo City, Mississippi, and he grew up in Monticello, so a lot of blues music. I grew up with a lot of blues in the house, a lot of jazz, a lot of the Beatles, everything. So for me, music was, even though we didn't play instruments growing up, it was always a part of the fabric of our life. Um, Later on, I I felt like it really was a God-given gift because I started to play instruments, self-taught, and so I did a lot of that growing up, but was really more of an athlete playing baseball and other sports. And, and so right around 20-ish, I kind of really felt more of a calling to kind of serve at my local church. And the need there really was through music. And so if it had been, we may not, we would have different conversation if they didn't need a music guy at the time in their youth department. And so yeah. I started just playing my church, uh, learning instruments. And I joked around like, oh, it couldn't be that hard to, play piano I just kind of figured the notes out and kind of figured the chords out and did that for a couple of years and then about a couple like a year later I had a friend I was like 22 year later a friend said there's this artist in Nashville looking for a bass player her name's Kim Boyce and I came and auditioned for it and uh she said you know you're not that good of a musician but we like you <laughs> we'll give you a yeah. chance to yeah. learn the songs so I did that for a little bit, and then I thought I was going to go back home to, to Atlanta, and that's where my dad retired, and thought I would just, you know, work at a 
church or do something in, in, in Atlanta. Then six months into working with her, I received a call. Back in the day, we actually received calls. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on, a phone, a phone, yeah. on a phone, yeah. It was actually on a, um, my roommate had a voicemail. It was the manager for DC Talk and told seen me play to Mac. Had seen me play for um, before DC Talk uh, at a, an event we did, and he wanted me to come on board and be his bass player, and and then uh, subsequently music director for DC Talk. So I toured with them for the um, New Thing record, Free at Last. I'm counting New Thing, Free at Last, Jesus Freak, and then Supernatural. So let's pause there. How did you go from not being good enough to all <laughs> of a sudden playing, getting a call to play with DC Talk? Yeah, um, I think it's the athletic side for me that kind of paid itself off. I remember telling my coaches, I may not be the best, but I'll work the hardest. And it was that work ethic that my dad had that that really helped. And so what I learned with DC Talk was there were certain in that group for their for their music. It was very multifaceted. You know, it's hip hop. It was rock. It was soulful. It would be everything in between. And so um, I just learned to become a chameleon and kind of learn the music and learn how to serve the music. And then I can talk about this a little later, but as a producer, I've, I've figured out there's three kind of producers that I, the, the, this is auto. There's what an artist producer, and they're all good, but like a guy like a Pharrell or Timberland, no matter what you bring him to do, it's going to sound like Pharrell or Timberland. And the second is kind of a, um, kind of a, um, a documentarian. And so a good friend of mine, Jakir King, he produces Kings of Leon and um, just groups like that. So he's really just capturing who those bands are. He's not trying to change much of who they are. Or Nora Jones. And so you can look to a Nora Jones record and it sounds very much like Nora Jones or Kings of Leon. And then the third is what I would call more of a chameleon producer like Rick Rubin and these are the guys I really loved so Rick could produce Johnny Cash he could go produce um, um, Jay-Z um, and he could produce um, you know all these different rock bands in the same year and so mm -hmm. that's what I kind of learned to grow so that's really how it came up I just I really learned to do DC talk music and then I was kind of a good it was really like going to school because I learned all of the how to play like a hip hop bass player, how to play like a rock bass player. We would do songs that some people would say that Jesus Freak sounds a little bit like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. So I learned how to play like, you know, a little bit more of that grunge thing. So that's kind of how I kind of learned how to, to do that with them. What was the first, the first album you played for them? Was that Jesus Freak? First album was Jesus Freak, yeah. Jesus Freak, yeah. That was like the yeah. Jesus Freak tour? That's awesome. What's your, what's your favorite song from that album? Oh, wow. Yeah, so the favorite song, obviously Jesus Freak was crazy because um, this is, and then Toby knows this, <laughs> this is kind of a, a Luke community exclusive. The bridge on Jesus Freak I wrote. <laughs> so Really? Have a, yeah. All that. It was like in the key of E, it was F sharp to F sharp to C. Just really weird. I thought they would take it out because when we recorded it, um, Toby and I would do demos of the songs before yeah. he would take it to the producer, Mark Hyreman. 
And so we were at Fanatic Studio recording that demo, and he just wanted to, he just had the uh, the rap part, and I think Tate's first verse, and that was it. And it was just that, yeah. like, four-bar phrase of, that was all we had. And then we had a loop just kind of running, and I thought, what if you just put like a little, there's not, there's not a guitar, because I knew playing their music, they wanted musical sections. I said, well, what if you just add a little part here? And so I added that uh, little section. So wow. that was fun to play. Uh, that was probably, that probably was a fun, it always is a fun song to play because it's it sort of, if we play it now, it still rips the roof off with people. So Yeah, that's epic. What, answer I this for me. I think it's the position of being Jesus and Greek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So answer this for me. Who is Mrs. Morgan? Do you know that? Mrs. Morgan so is a lady. Track, Sadly, that... she passed away. Really? So who who is she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was the next door neighbor of at the studio. So um, we had like a little. Toby had a. We bought an old house to record in for Goatee Records, and so he would use that kind of as his demo studio for DC Talk. Okay. And so it had, it was a three, yeah, it was a two bedroom house. And next door to that was Mrs. Morgan. So she was just a neighbor. That's so awesome. It's like, hey, come over here and uh, talk into this microphone. Yeah. So you toured with them for uh, yeah, how exactly. many years? You toured with them for how many years? Nine years. Nine years. Wow. And I'm sure I saw you on one of those tours. I used to like, be a huge fan you guys and audio adrenaline i remember seeing you guys at like um what were those events acquire the fire the youth events yes so um so and then after dc talk was that sonic flood or when, when did sonic flood come into the picture yeah so sonic flood was um sonic flood the full story was there the touring band of DC Talk was the drummer was uh, is and was Rick Rick May. Rick May uh, is actually the front of house now for um, uh, not Casting Crowns. He's front of house for um, I can't forget, forgot just, my mind just froze um, for Bart. I can only imagine for Mercy Bart, Me. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So Bart. So. Uh, Rick May is our drummer. Mark Townsend was our guitar player. Mark produced Reliant K and those groups. And then Jason Halbert is now the music director for Kelly Clarkson. And so he's played keys and I played bass. So we were the touring band for DC Talk and we had a band called Zilch. Uh And so while we were touring, um, we would do worship events. Um, uh, We would do like Billy Graham events or pre- Billy Graham um, crusade events. And they said, could you guys do your songs? But could you also do some worship songs? So as we started to do that and incorporating worship into it, it, the people were like, man, we love the worship so much better uh, than your original songs. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. we started doing that. Yeah. Which is great to an artist. They love to hear that. Um, and so yeah, can you play um, someone else's songs? We love that way yeah. better when you play uh, <laughs> the other guys' songs, maybe leave yeah. your songs we out might- of this net list. 
we like Matt Redman better than Otto. So um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, which I, which I do too. Um, but so at that time, we were all sort of still focused on DC Talk and other side projects. That Zilch sort of took a back burner, and so Mark went to go do K, which obviously did great. And so then we looked for a new singer, and that's when we got Jeff Dio. And as we were still doing Zilch music, we were doing the worship. And then the worship songs it was supposed to be a, an EP. It wound up being a full album, and that's that's really how it happened. There was no grand plan wow. of let's let's be the the, the yeah. uh, Godfathers of modern yeah. worship. It was just like, hey, let's just yeah. record some work because at that time, really, Delirious was the only group doing worship at that level. Wow, that's wild. And a lot has changed since then. Isn't that wild? So yes, what. <laughs> What um? So what have you been doing in the past like decade, like the past five to ten years? What's what's been like on your plate? Yeah. So uh, after I did the DC Talk thing, I, I semi-retired when I was like twenty-seven or something, um, at the old age of twenty-seven, and yeah. then or I was I was actually thirty, thirty-three-one, and then right around then I started producing a lot, and production took off. And I signed, I started working with a lot of groups. Barlow Girl was probably the one that kind of got some really big attention with labels. And then Warner Brothers brought me in to run uh, the A&R for Warner Brothers. Did that for about nine years, uh, eight, eight or nine years. Left that to kind of work with churches and to kind of help bridge the gap of a lot of churches at the time, kind of like what we're doing with Luke Community, they can see an artist, they can see a Hillsong United, but the chasm between Hillsong United is so far, I really feel like, man, if we can just bridge, you know, shore that up to go, okay, they got all these incredible tools that most churches don't have access to. And so for the last five years, um, I've been consulted, but I've also worked at churches to help kind of their worship teams and worship groups become a little bit more... Um, using a record company term more, more commercially viable. So, when mm-hmm. you know, and the reality is that most churches now post COVID, they are not just a on-site presence. They're an online presence. So they're how they look, how they sound is measured and compared to what's happening from elevation, what's happening from other resources like that. And so to help them, to raise the water level is what I've been doing these last few years or trying to. Yeah. That actually is a very interesting thought in that the way that people experience Hillsong is typically online watching a video because we're not on Sydney actually watching Hillsong live in person. But for a long time, most churches, the only way you would ever experience them is by actually attending them in person. And then COVID happens and all these churches go online, which is where Hillsong would be. And now you kind of are, yep. in a way, comparing. Like your exposure has grown so much. So many more people are actually seeing your church than than ever would have before because they wouldn't have been there in person. And so they are almost kind of comparing like a Hillsong service versus, you know, Trinity, <laughs> you know, Riverside Church of Oklahoma City or whatever. Right. When you never would have done that before. And so you do, a lot of churches have had to step up their game um, to make the presentation, you know, 
just a little bit more professional, more um, interesting, more uh, mm-hmm. high quality. That's yeah. really interesting, Otto. I've never actually thought about it in that way. That it's actually you're you're kind mm-hmm. of for the first time, <laughs> churches are actually being directly compared to each other, mm-hmm. but on an almost unfair scale, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same medium, but an unfair <laughs> scale because a church of 200 people is not going to do a production like Hillsong United, you know? No, it, it reminds me of, we were actually in the process of doing some renovation to our home, but I had done a renovation. Anybody who's ever done a renovation can will relate to the story. I remember this is like 15 years ago, I did a major renovation in my kitchen and before then, I felt like I was a decent cook. But when your kitchen is down for three months and you're cooking in a microwave in your dining room and you're watching a lot of Food Network and then you start to see, and, and my kids were watching it, and all of a sudden we came out of that experience uh, and then we had our kitchen back, their palate had increased because we go out to eat a little bit a lot more. They've also started to see, you know, they're introduced to ancho chilies and uh, different things that were just high-level quality cooking and how to prepare a proper omelet. And before, they're just making eggs, and now they're going, no, yeah. Dad, I need to do this. And, they, and so their quality level of what they're, as they're cooking was raised up because they were exposed to something that they weren't to before. And I feel like that's what's happening right now. Is churches were forced to, when, for raise three months, raise the bar because they were forced to just can't, people were coming to your service. So when they were seeing online, they need better cameras. They're going to need uh, tighter uh, shots. They're going to have to make sure that the sound quality is better. Everything's got to be better. And why? Because the person who's looking online isn't doesn't know the difference between the church you mentioned, you know, or uh, yeah, which, which, which street Baptist church versus, uh, Passion City or versus North Point, they North Point online, they want that same experience. Right. And if you're attending church online, people are just going to go to, <laughs> you know, they're going to decide. They're like, hey, you know what? Actually, if I'm just going to be attending church online, I might as well just watch Hillsong in Sydney. You know, it sounds better. Right. looks better. And so they're the... Uh, you definitely do have to raise the bar a bit because it's not the same as being in person. Um, what would you say is the biggest, what was, what do you think was the hardest hurdle for churches to actually raise the bar online? I think it was, yeah, I think to me it was, I call it this. I I think in analogies too, people will find that thinking analogies and movies, (laughs) but, um, I feel like there were three models um, before COVID hit. Model A was on site. That's all that mattered. And for about a six, and then during COVID in, in 2020, there was probably a legit six month period, three to six month period where we were in the model B, which was online only. There were, unless there were certain churches, you know, there most 99% of churches were uh church experiences were online and then we're in a model c and so in my opinion we're we're going to be from now till jesus comes back in a model c 
and that is both online and on site. And I would, and it's not a bad thing. I would compare it to. I'm a big Apple fan. I would compare it to the Apple Store experience, the physical store experience, and the Apple Store experience you have online. Both mirror each other and both work with each other, but it's a different experience. But it's a very, at the same time, it's a very. There's a lot of cohesion in it. So I think a lot of churches because I worked with a lot of pastors, a lot of pastors, and sadly, I mean, I, I'm a faith guy too. I believe that God can do a lot, but sometimes it would be bury your head in the sand. Like we're going to get past this COVID thing and we'll move on. But realize one of my good friends uh, is at a big mega church on the East coast. And he was saying that their, their church is actually thriving more now with the online presence. And so the churches that adapt that, and adopt that and adapt into their adapt, adapt that into their ecosystem are the ones that are going to thrive in the future. So we're kind of taking this conversation in a different direction than I thought <laughs> we would, but this is an interesting topic because I actually recently have been kind of thinking about that. And I almost want to challenge the idea of online church because yeah. my wife and I attended online church for probably five months, I think during COVID. And then we just stopped yeah. watching it. We're like, ah, it's just, we just stopped. And then we weren't going to church at all. And yeah. then when we started going back to church, like in person, it's so much better than watching online, like a million times better. Yeah. And you actually are building community and relationships. Like you're not just like sitting on your couch alone watching it. Yeah. And what I wonder is, you know, you hear the argument from churches who will mm-hmm. say, well, you know, we're online because now we're reaching more people than ever. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I wonder is like, I wonder how, for lack of a better word, true that actually is. Like, are you reaching brand new people that actually stick and are you growing them as disciples? Or is your online service really just enabling people in your church to not come to church and participate in the church and just sit at home and watch it? It's a matter of convenience. And I think it is a nice thing to have, but I do wonder like, are the... uh, pros of an online church service actually outweighing the negatives um yeah i I hate to be a debbie downer here and like you know we are in 2022 and we're streaming services and that's cool but i guess i wonder like really how should churches keep doing that yeah i mean my again yeah i love this conversation like uh my wife and i were talking about this last week like i told her that i need on i need a community Mm -hmm. like this is a man. I need, we need to be in a church. And that means hugging people. It's inhumane to not hug. And it's inhumane to not have eye contact. We're not, yeah. we're not wired to do virtual life. I would say that I think the churches um, that do the online side, if it's, it's, it's one of, it was one of two things. I think it should whet the appetite mm-hmm for the on-site yeah. experience, as opposed to being a, what's the right word I'm looking for? It should not be a complete a, substitute. Um, it should not substitute the on-site experience. So it's like, I, you know, I, you know, anybody who's married or dating, man, texting is awesome. FaceTime is awesome. FaceTime, you know, air quotes, is yeah. awesome. But to, to pick your significant other up and you know and look across the table whether it's chick-fil-a or yeah and chris 
it's a different experience. Yeah, and that's so, totally true. Yeah, so I think that I think the on I would say this the online when I say the online is going to be part of our future. I think we need to now repurpose it as opposed to making it a substitute. We should make it more of a like most services are like what an hour, hour and fifteen, hour and thirty. Man, I think service. I think an online thing should probably be thirty minutes, mm-hmm. almost like a TED talk, enough to kind of whet your appetite. You know, cup maybe a song and like. I would call them like certain, uh, like little vignettes and then kind of what your appetite and then go, and then it wants to, it gives you something to go, wow, I want to be in that community. Yeah. Right. And it can be a great tool too, for like, if you're out of town and you miss church, you know, a great, great yeah. way to be able to watch it. But yeah. I've heard of some churches even just like turning off their live stream completely and being like, Hey, get back to church. Like get off your couch, come to church. We're not even we're not even like streaming this anymore for you. Right. <laughs> um, you could rewatch the sermon or listen to the sermon on our podcast, but you're not going to watch the whole service. Like you're not going to be able to get everything you would be able to get if you came in person. And then, you know, people say, well, yeah, but our, you know, our online service is bringing in a lot of new people. And, and I would just say like, is it real? Like, I don't know. I wonder, is it really bring, how many new people is it really bringing in that you wouldn't have brought in on your own? I'm not sure. Right. And I'm sure churches yeah. have data on I think- that. Yeah, they do. And I think it's, there are, you know, I'm not in that world, so I don't want to speak. I don't, I try to stay out of things I'm not intelligent about, but I would say, I I think just purely as a, as a human, the idea of singing a song, hearing other people singing around you. Yeah. Um, it's, this is the reason why um, we went to go see a, uh, a, a couple of movies in the theater. This like I like going to the theater. I mean, I like yeah. having certain movies, you know, on, on access on demand. But man, there's something about going to theater, getting that popcorn, getting your seat, hearing the laughter around you. That's very mm-hmm. human. And so I think we lose that humanity. It's a similar thing, and even more that's, so because now it's a spiritual. You know, Jesus said, "With two more gathered, there's something else that happens." Yeah, man. It's funny. I actually just went to my first movie. A couple days ago, I went to a movie for the first time in probably two or three years, I think before COVID. And I went alone. I love going to movies alone. And it was such a great experience. Now, it cost me like $50 after the ticket and food and drinks, you know, because when I was there, I'm like, you know what? I'm here. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Uh, But the experience was so great because there's something about being in a theater with other people watching the same thing. And you turn off your phone and you're just like, you go to another world for a little bit. Well, when you're at home sitting on your couch, you can kind of go to another world, but you're not really in another world. Like you are, you know, you're getting interrupted, but there's stuff to do. You're thinking about things you got to do around the house or whatever. But I do think there's nothing, there's something special about that experience. So anyways, we kind of got off topic here, but (laughs) I'm glad that you are heading up the loop gospel division. Let's just talk about like, I think it's awesome. I think you're going to be such a, such a great fit. And the people in our gospel community are going to love you uh, the more they get to know you. What are you excited about uh, for Loop Gospel? Like what, what about it kind of just like fires you up? What gives you passion behind it? Yeah. It's interesting as you know, you and I were talking and one of the things, uh, one of the words that always I was confused about was the word vocation versus occupation. So as an occupation, you know, we're doing stuff with the community, 
but my vocation is a calling and I felt like I feel like God's called me to build connect and inspire and so to be in an environment to be in company that does those three things to build you're building a community you're connecting people and you're trying to inspire them feels like that's why i was wired what i was built for um i love being behind the scenes i love connecting the dots yeah um and what i'm excited about is you know again that's why i that that you know this i'm not looking for an attaboy but you know to leave sometimes a record label where everything is just so glossy and you know whatever I, I had no problem with that problem, but I was excited about going into the trenches to help churches grow. So I'm excited about what we can do in our community to build great music and great, you know, environments where we're going to see um, people get inspired, start yeah. making better music. And then also connecting because of our relationships in Nashville to connect artists with in a meaningful way, you know, something like this to have meaningful conversations with artists and record makers and content creators. Right. And just, that's what I'm excited about. So yeah, a few things in the works now. So yeah, man, it's awesome. I think it's going to be really, really great. Um, I think, uh, you know, I want to interview you another time where we're going to talk more about like tracks and we're going to get a little bit more geeky and nerdy. Yes. I want to hear about like the history of tracks and like how you guys used to use them, how you're using them now as a producer. We just want to talk about tracks. But um, for now, how can people yeah. uh, reach out to you if they want to meet you or like get to know you or what, what's the best way for people to communicate with you? Yeah, I'm online. Uh, Instagram is good, and obviously uh, on all cool. our channels, you know, um, uh, probably would, I would say for me personally, you know, just auto Instagram or you know Twitter is great. Um, but uh, I would ask you, uh, madam, you know, email or what, what's the best way for they want to? Yeah, email, social media, Loop Gospel. Yeah, the Loop Gospel yeah. group on Facebook. Make sure you're in that. Yeah. Also, all of our producers, you guys are in a Slack channel. Uh, communicate that way. Yep. So anyways, yeah. I'm just excited yeah. for everybody to get to know you. And um, yep. I think it's awesome, man. It's going to be great to have you on board. So yeah, thanks for the time for giving us just a little bit of a history background. And uh, we're going to send this video out to all the producers as well so they can get to know you and I love it. many good things to come. I love it. And, and um, the last thing I would say is I'm always, uh, there's my wife jokes about, I always say two things. One quick thing. I used to hear this thing that um, thought it was a clever quip for mediocrity, but it said "jack of all trades, master of none." But the quote was Ben Franklin said, "Be a jack of all trades, but master one." So I always want to learn, I always want to grow. So if anybody has ideas and tips, I want to be able to grow for what you're doing. And the second thing is, is that if there are specific needs, songs, um, things that we can do to serve you, just I'm, you know, yeah, I'm always available. So. Hey, you cut out right as you were saying that quote. I want you to say it again because I want to hear it. Jack of all trades, master of yeah. none. But what was the what was the second part? The actual quote is Ben Franklin. He said, "Be a jack of all trades, but master one." But master one. One. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is be super aware of a lot of things, but yeah. be a specialist in one thing. And so yeah. I feel, yeah. you know, I wanna I wanna be really. Um, super aware of a lot of things, but 
when it comes to yeah. record record making, I understand that really well. But if there's other areas I can grow in, I want to do that. So that quote has been misquoted for this. For, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's been frank. Yeah, that's good, man. Well, once you realize it the- like that, it goes, oh, he was saying, yeah, be a jack of all traits, but master one. He's like, be super aware of a lot of things, but really yeah. be a special one thing. It's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> that is really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Bro, thanks for taking the time. And uh, we're going to hear from you a lot more in the future. You guys are going to be seeing Auto interviewing artists, interviewing songwriters, interviewing producers. So you're going to be seeing Auto a lot more around the Loop Community world. Glad you're here, man. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, brother. All right, man. See you soon. All right, you guys. Auto Price, new director of Loop Gospel. Thanks so much for joining us on this loop live. If you have not already, make sure you hit the subscribe and like or follow buttons wherever you're watching these videos. Make sure you go follow Loop Gospel on Instagram. It's just Loop Gospel if you search for it. It's also on Facebook. We have a Facebook group for Loop Gospel and a page for Loop Gospel. Make sure you follow those just because we're going to be pumping out a ton of new content in the Loop community gospel world very soon. And Otto's going to be doing all that. So Otto, really, really glad to have you on board. It's going to be a great journey together. All right, you guys, stay tuned for the next Loop Live. We'll see you soon. Thanks for being part of the community. This is Matt. Thanks for listening. Hey, let us know what's the main thing you learned from today's talk. Write it down in the comments. Send us a DM. We hope to hear from you soon.